Hey everyone, this is Les Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and it has not been a good week. This Sunday's podcast revolves around the 22 and 23 Detroit Pistons, who just endured a buzzer beater loss to seal a winless week. Ben, Duncan Smith, and I talk about Langston Galloway's return to the lineup, Avery Bradley's general ineffectiveness, and Stan Van Gundy's thought process before the trade deadline. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, like, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the post on Detroit Bad Boys. It's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what the fans want. Uh, In order to do that, though, you have to be following DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hey everyone, welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. I am joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you doing? Dinwiddie's Revenge. Oof. Not doing so great, but glad to be here anyway. Yeah, we're uh, we're happy to have you, and we're, we're sad about Dinwiddie's Revenge, I assure you. Uh, we're also today joined by a very special guest, uh, formerly of Piston Powered. Uh, now he's working with the, the Athletic and uh, Basketball Breakdown. We have Duncan Smith. Duncan, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Uh, well, you know, we're not doing so good over here in Pistons land. The Pistons are now at 22 and 23, so they're below 500 for the first time this season. They are, I think that's right. Yeah, they're yeah they're below 500 for the first time this season. They're ninth in the East, uh, 20th in offensive rating at 104.2, 10th somehow, still 10th in defensive rating at 104.7. Uh, but their net rating of negative 0.6 is good for 18th in the league, which is a, sounds about right. This feels like about the 18th best team in the league. Um, they, the Pistons uh, went winless this week. They uh, started the week really poorly with the uh, lackadaisical effort against Charlotte. Um, it, and they lost a, uh, it lost a game I expected them to lose in Toronto, but they made a, uh, they made a, I suppose, a solid push. And they did, they did the same against Washington. And, of course, uh, we're recording this in the wake of the uh, Spencer Dinwiddie game winner uh, versus Brooklyn. Um, this, has been, this has been a really frustrating week for Pistons fans. Uh, ben Duncan and I were kind of talking about before, uh, before everything. We were talking about where we thought this team was headed in the future. Uh, this, doesn't, this no longer looks like a playoff team uh, to us. What do you what do you think, Ben? No, I totally agree at this point. I mean, I was sort of optimistic on paper after Reggie went down, thinking that the roster as a whole was a bit stronger than it was a year ago and they'd be able to to weather the storm and, and maybe maybe hold the ship around five hundred until Reggie got back. But boy was I wrong about that. They look absolutely terrible and just completely lost on offense. Just totally, utterly, completely lost on offense, your point earlier about the offensive rating and defensive rating numbers. I mean, this has kind of been the hallmark of Van Van Gundy's tenure, honestly. I mean, they've been overachievers defensively, somehow managed to be right around top 10 in the NBA in defense 
in spite of not having any real lockdown defenders. But uh, offensively, they've struggled, and right now that's just all exacerbated with uh, the absence of Reggie Jackson. Uh, and I, I, I struggle to even diagnose, like, you know, exactly what's wrong and exactly how it gets better because it's just a hot mess. So, Duncan, you did a radio hit earlier this week where you talked about how the team was built to function like with Reggie as the engine, essentially. And uh, we're harping. Stan has harped and harped and harped in defensive effort, but obviously the offense appears to be the the big driver of the problems that the Pistons currently have. Um, do you have Do you have any remedies for that? Do you think that uh, Do you think that maybe like start something like starting Galloway or um, you know less usage for Avery, anything like that would, would improve this team's, uh, would improve this team's outlook. Um, I think actually both of those suggestions wouldn't hurt. Um, when, uh, when Reggie first went down, uh, I wrote a piece for the athletic with, uh, three or four different ideas that I thought would be, uh, maybe not necessarily how they, they would adjust going forward. Um, knowing, uh, Stan Van Gundy's general, <laughs> Uh, method of operation, but um, more so like how I thought they should. One of the things that I thought they should do was instead of moving Ish Smith up to the starting lineup and then, you know, I, I think we assumed that then Galloway would uh, run the second unit. Um, my suggestion was keep Ish where he is because like he's one of the best bench point guards, you know, one of the one of the best reserve point guards, not so much because like, he can take over for his starter better than like anybody else, but just because the way he plays really feasts against um, bench units and units that are more prone to make mistakes and more prone to be uh, inefficient offensively and um, thereby kind of like sparking transition offense for the Pistons to get into. Um, That's really the only way Ish has any use on the offensive side of the floor. Um, So like leaving him on the bench I thought was probably the best move they could make. And then moving Galloway up, even if Galloway isn't exactly an improvement across the board, um, at least teams have to respect his ability to shoot the three. You know, if nothing else, you've got that floor spacing element and he doesn't have to be better than Ish. He just has to like provide a little bit of room for the rest of the offense to operate. And, um, you know, it's, it's also not uncommon for teams to, to promote, a guy in place of a starter uh, and leave like a bench player in his current place when, when that particular part of the rotation is functioning well. Um, So, you know, I thought it made sense. I thought that uh, it it was logical and um, what happened was that was uh, (laughs) Langston Galloway was essentially um, removed from the rotation for um, looking at how many games he's he's played seven games of the last 12 since Reggie went down. Uh, So he received five uh, DMP CDs when, you know, I, I personally thought that starting him would make sense, and instead they went with uh, Floyd Blake's, the two-way guy. So well, and and that worked for you know four or five games, and I, I suppose in like Stan's mind, like that justified the the decision, but at the same time, like you couldn't have expected a, a two-way guy, even a two-way guy that we like, to to maintain that level of play for the rest of the season. Like that was just, and even, even I, I couldn't understand why Galloway had fallen out of the rotation entirely. Right. Like even if, 
uh, he doesn't have to be the the tertiary point guard. You still need a guy who can shoot on the on the wings to have an effective offense. Um, that was also the same period of time when Stanley Johnson wasn't playing. We like we had three guard lineups out there. There's no reason why uh, there there was little reason why Langston Galloway shouldn't have been a part of those lineups. Yeah, it you know I think it was really puzzling. Not even just because like they went to bikes at some point like that. I don't think that's unreasonable, but like making what I think is like your your last resort option, <laughs> the very first thing you go to is I think it's just really puzzling. Yeah, puzzling is not the uh, is not the most uncommon word we use to describe a lot of Stan Van Gundy's actions this season. Yeah, I'm trying to be positive, Duncan. Now remember. <laughs> <laughs> So, but you know, the second aspect of that is, is less Avery Bradley. We've uh, we we could go over how damning Avery Bradley's is statistically and uh, numerically for the Pistons. Uh, there's a really really good fan post on Detroit Bad Boys that was also cross posted in the Detroit Pistons subreddit by uh, Narrowin. I'm hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, I will link to that in the show notes, and I, I want people to. Uh, that's a really thorough examination of how just awful Avery Bradley has been for the Detroit Pistons. And I would highly encourage people to read that. Um, it's a must read for sure. Yeah. At this point, I'm actively hoping that he gets, that Bradley gets traded, not only for uh, the Pistons sake, but for his own sake. He's a, you know, he's an unrestricted free agent after this year. He's trying to rebuild his value. Um, He's he's not gonna get the long term money he's looking for in this offseason if he, if he continues playing like this. I'll tell you that much. Um, but we finally got we finally got Vince Ellis of the uh, of the Free Press, I believe, on uh, on our side, tweeting during the tweeting during today's Brooklyn game. You know, no more Bradley DHOs. It's like, all right, we're we're getting there. We're making inroads because uh, Vince is very much an eye test guy, and so even when he can see that, like. Uh, when Bradley has become like a black hole offensively, the ball goes in and it goes up. It doesn't come back out. Like that, that's a win, I think. <laughs> ben, I'm just, I'm. Uh, we we've gone through Avery Bradley. Do you wanna do you wanna talk some more about Avery Bradley and how he's killing the Pistons, or uh, <laughs> are we good? Oh man, I, so I have one thing to say because I uh, I tweeted at Keith Langway this week for the Pistons mailbag and always a feature of pistons.com that I enjoy. And, and Keith is a guy that I really enjoy talking to. And essentially my question was, does SVG micromanage shot selection as a coach? And, and Keith's response is really interesting. I'd, I'd recommend anyone go take a peek at it. Um, but essentially to paraphrase him, he said that SVG learned early on in his coaching career that he doesn't do that. And I think the idea is that he doesn't want guys thinking about whether or not they should be taking a shot in the instant on the floor that they're actually making the decision to shoot. And there's a part of me that understands that, but there's a, there's another part of me that's been watching the Pistons all season um, that realizes just how, how toxic Avery Bradley's offense has become for the Pistons. Since Reggie went down, he's led the team in shot attempts seven times. The Pistons have won one of those games. Uh, and I haven't run the numbers for Tobias, but if you if you just look really simply at um, the Pistons are much much better when Tobias leads the team in shot attempts. They've got a, a winning record, for example. Now, 
Am I oversimplifying things? Sure, I'm oversimplifying things a bit. Um, but I think uh, Stan Van Gundy has to has to think about the extent to which he's going to have to micromanage this offense right now because it, it's bad. Uh, Avery Bradley as the focal point of the offense is bad, and um, it, it just it's going to have to change. Um, a- Avery Bradley just can't shoot the ball as much as he's shooting it. There's no question about it. Shooting percentages is just terrible in spite of the fact that he's a really good three-point shooter, as we've talked about many, many times before. Um, But I just thought that reply from Keith was really, really interesting. Stan Van Gundy isn't focused on shot selection as a key part of his coaching strategy, and that that is very, very puzzling to me. Well, we know Stan is a defensive-minded coach, right? There were times last year when, when Stanley Johnson was playing backup two guard where we were questioning and you know wondering like how much offense they run during practices i believe it was asked and uh the response we got from stan was that you know they spend 80 percent of their practices on defense and 20 percent on offense and so when you have a when you have a a bifurcation like that it's not it shouldn't be a surprise i guess that the offense is struggling i mean we've seen we've seen stan try some things lately to get guys going he's played smaller uh, he's played smaller today against Brooklyn. He played a little smaller t- uh, against Washington. Um, we're seeing lineups that are more effective offensively, lineups with Kennard and, and Galloway and uh, and Bullock stay on the floor late in games, which uh, was not something we saw earlier in the season, most notably in the New Orleans game. Uh, <laughs> there are... <laughs> Yeah. There are there are glimmers, right, of hope, but at the same time, it might be it, it doesn't it doesn't feel like it feels a little bit like too little, too late. But it's it's not. It's well. So we had this conversation. Me and Duncan had this conversation earlier. Duncan's ready to quit on the season. Like I'm, I don't blame him. I'm not ready to quit on the season because they're still only what a game and a half out of a playoff spot, and being in the playoffs is relatively important to a team that um, historically has been quite good and is in a new building is trying to build up a fan base in a new city and would like to play important basketball games there. And I understand that they're going to do, I, I, I think that they're going to do pretty much anything in their power to get to the playoffs this season. But uh, at the same time, there you don't have to make drastic sweeping changes in order to do that. You can do little things play Luke Kennard more and, you know, not use the, not utilize the two-way guy for nine games while you figure out your backup point guard situation. Like there's, there's so many things. There's so many little things that have gone wrong with the Pistons over the last, uh, when did John Luer get in his car accident last year, like February? So like over the last 12 months? Uh, that was early actually. It was, uh, it was before Christmas. Oh, okay. I remember the, the, the Portland game was the like the last game like he was like truly effective in, and then after that it was kind of a the a downhill uh, slide. I'm I, so okay. Like little behind the scenes stuff, guys. I have an agenda that I lay out. Um, I follow it pretty rigorously. Uh, the Brooklyn loss has broken me. Like I'm just I'm just going. <laughs> I had a feeling we were gonna have to freestyle for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Duncan, so I I missed the pregame stuff because uh, old man Ben fell asleep at the very end of the the Brooklyn game here. When you say give up on the season, like do you mean like the franchise should start tanking, or do you mean like you as a fan are just sort of 
ready to check out on um, this year? I neither of those necessarily. I I just think that um, this team doesn't really have um, doesn't really have the pieces or the ability to adapt. Um, you know, when when things are not going well, uh, I I just think that this is probably about the 18 to 20th best team in the NBA right now. And I don't really see any way, uh, any, any clear way, at least, um, you know, shy of like throwing Luke out there, bumping up that usage. And all of a sudden he's, he's doing, you know, ridiculous Donovan Mitchell things. Um, I don't really see any kind of like, there's no, this is something actually when, um, when I had that radio spot with Ryan Schilling that Laz was mentioning, um, I, I referred to like this team has very few kind of like unknown quantities, like mystery box kind of elements, like, you know, like what happens when Luke Kennard just really gets thrown to the wolves and we, we see if we can like uh, sink or swim, um, you know, more or less, you know what all the guys are on this team and um, what those guys are is without their starting point guard, uh, a 25% uh, win rate right now. And, um, you know, it, it hasn't even been a tough schedule. Uh, I, I really do think that what we're seeing out of this team since Reggie Jackson went down is just what this team is. And I don't know that there's necessarily, um, again, shy of like lightning striking and, um, you know, a guy like Luke shows us even more than what we thought, uh, there might be. Um, I just don't really see any, real reason for optimism other than just like choosing to say there's lots of games left. Maybe things will break right for a change. Um, like I don't, other than just like choosing to be optimistic, I don't really see any, uh, any, any reasonable source of hope, I guess. So I wouldn't say that I've, I've, I'm ready to check out on the season or give up on the season. I'd say more like, um, I just don't see any real reason for hope or optimism. So I guess the last vestige of hope that I'm holding on to is that uh, Reggie Jackson should be back by the uh, by the time the All Star break is is completed. I think that'll be well. Who who was going to be reevaluated eight weeks after the injury? I think that would be the ninth week. I'm not entirely sure, but uh, so and we saw with this team, uh, even when Reggie himself was not necessarily playing his best basketball, which he wasn't. Uh, at the end of December before his injury, uh, they were still like an effective offensive team. And we've seen without him that no matter what, through sheer force of will, because they spend 80% of their time in practice on defense, they're still a top 10 defensive team. So I guess uh, if, if I'm running the numbers like mentally, for me, if they can become the 15th best offensive team in the league and the 10th best defensive team and re- remain the 10th best defensive team in the league that that's a low, that's a low tier playoff team. And, you know, that's a being in the playoffs is better than not being in the playoffs for, uh, for this team. If, if you're not going to get uh, the, if the lottery odds are going to be low or for you, it's better to make the playoffs. And so that, that's where my head's at. I would say that I'm not rooting for them to miss the playoffs and get like some sort of, some sort of uh, like lottery entry, because like you said, like there's not really much, uh, you know, not not much difference between like a 15th pick and a 14th pick. Um, whereas like the playoffs, whether it be financially, whether it be like state of mind, um, whether it be just like getting a little buzz going, um, <laughs> breaking streaks of ineptitude, 
Um, like it's good to get the playoffs if you can get the playoffs. So like, I, I don't want it to be misconstrued that like I'm rooting for losses or like on like a team tank or anything like that. But I, it's more of just like a practical expectation uh, positioning, I guess, more than anything. So I, I'm definitely not team tank or anything, but um, I would like the playoffs. That'd be great. <laughs> well, so like I can make, I can make on paper the case that there's a chance they could be 500 by the time Reggie gets back. If he gets back right after the all-star break and that's to do with their schedule, right? I mean, they still have something like 11 out of their next 14 at home or something like that. Right. I mean, and this is a team that like, I think most teams are is much better at home than they are on the road. I don't know how likely that is. I'm starting to feel less and less optimistic myself. And oddly, I've been one of the more optimistic people around about the Pistons this year. Um, But man, like part of me is asking right now, if you're Stan Van Gundy, you have to be aware, obviously, that your your long-term job security is on the line here. One of the things I'd be thinking about is if there's no risk to Reggie Jackson's long-term health is 85% Reggie Jackson worth rushing back if you find yourselves maybe two or three games under 500 at the end of the all-star break I don't know that's an interesting question to me um playing on it on a bum ankle is hard especially for a point guard who depends on uh, his explosiveness off the dribble um but this isn't a situation where I think Stan Van Gundy can wait, right? I mean, he, if he misses the playoffs this year, it's hard for me to find a scenario in which he gets a con- contract extension or contract renewal. So it'll be interesting to see how quickly they move with Reggie Jackson. I know there's been a lot of criticism, um, especially on Pistons Twitter of the training staff, because uh, there have been a lot of injuries and there's been some interesting approaches to recovery. Um, but if it, it's, it's 75% of Reggie Jackson, if he's not, you know, if he's not doing long-term risk to his health worth having back right now. And I don't know, I think I, if I were Stan Van Gundy, that's, that's what I'd be thinking about. So I want to backtrack a little bit to the point you made about the schedule. Um, so before they've got, yeah, like what, 11 out of 14 home games before the all-star break, but you look at the opponents, it's Oklahoma city, it's Cleveland, it's Miami who is playing really, really well right now. It's Portland. It's the Clippers. It's the Pelicans. There, it's it's the Celtics. They play the Celtics. I think right after the All Star break. Those are those are games you would feel comfortable like flipping a coin if everyone on the team were healthy and they were playing well, and they're not playing well, and everyone on the team isn't healthy. And so it's it's going to be really difficult to even go five hundred, despite this being a very uh, very long homestand in my mind. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. I was trying to find some path toward optimism, and that's that's honestly the best I can come up with is a somewhat favorable schedule in terms of being at home more than on the road. Well, I think I think the obvious thing that could spark a change is a trade. And Duncan, your your work you've tweeted about that uh, how you're working on a, a mock trade deadline uh, piece for Basketball Breakdown. Do you have any? Uh, do you want to spoil a little bit for us here about your insights about what the Pistons should or should not do? at the trade deadline? Well, that's, uh, it's coming, I think in the next couple of weeks, it's going to be a 30 GM. Um, oh, so it's like a full on mock. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's going to be like, um, it, we, we did uh, something 
like this last year as well for b-ball breakdown so um it's it's going to be on sort of a, a larger scale and it's going it, to you know as uh <laughs> something that involves uh 30 mock gms um it's probably not going to go exactly according to anybody's plan um you know, last year's got pretty chaotic as well um so as far as like my own approach to uh to running the pistons in this in this mock uh trade deadline um i am probably going to do my very best to not mortgage too much of the future nor get into the playoffs this year um you know shy of moving every bradley for whatever i can get um you know i i uh can't really see and i don't think the pistons should be looking to to um be moving draft picks for like marginal upgrades or anything like that. Um, and that's something that I'm kind of concerned that we might be, uh, we might be dealing with as like, as, as you guys have mentioned, like um, Stan Van Gundy's uh, we're, we're running up on the, the point where um, he's going to see himself as, uh, you know, coaching for his job and uh, presidenting of basketball operations <laughs> for his job. Um and, uh, that's, you know, that's daunting. Like I'm, I don't have anything to, uh, to win or lose in this mock draft situation. Um, but, uh, he's, he's got a job that is potentially on the line. And I think Danny LaRue says it best. Um, like if, if your president of basketball operations, or your general manager is in a position where he can, or he feels he needs to make moves to save his job, you've waited too late to fire him. And I think that's kind of uh, kind of terrifying going forward, this organization, because we're basically reaching the trade deadline where that is that is sort of the, the state of mind um, that Van Gundy is. Like, if, if that's not how he's acting, ex- like specifically what he's acting under, it's at least in the back of his mind. And if it's at least in the back of his mind, you've waited too late. I wonder if Stan Van Gundy does not strike me as the type of individual who would... Uh, volunteer for an extension that uh, he didn't want to actually undergo. I wonder how much interest he has in uh, continuing to coach this team long-term, not because uh, I want him gone or not because uh, I think he's going to, uh, in his position as president of basketball operations, you know, mortgage the future for the, the current playoff positioning that may or may not happen, happen. But, uh, if 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 he feels like he hasn't done a good job, I don't feel like he's the type of guy to uh, to stay on in a position despite the fact that he hasn't done that great a job. And you know that opens up uh, an interesting succession plan for for the Pistons, who have not had the best luck most recently with hiring coaches. I'll say that much. Uh, nothing you can do about that. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, I I think you're probably right that um, he he may not necessarily even have like a, a great deal of interest if if he feels as though he has not done a uh, a great job. Um, I don't know if I don't know exactly how he how he feels he's performed in his uh, his duties either um, with the number of losses and performances that he's put on his own shoulders lately. Um, it doesn't sound like he thinks he's done a great job. Um, so I, I think that that probably does have some sort of bearing in, uh, 
in his decisions going forward. And I think that it might be interesting to, to find out if there is some way to know that, you know? Yeah. Ben, uh, what would you do if you were, if you were running Duncan's, uh, if you were running in Duncan's place as the mock GM of the Pistons? Yeah. I mean, I'd probably try to simulate to the best of my abilities, what Stan Van Gundy is likely to do. So I would probably take, I, I mean, I, if, if you care about the long-term future of the franchise like fans do, then I think Duncan is taking the absolutely correct approach because there's there's still some pieces on this roster that are, that are worth keeping around. You know, Drummond is a very good player. Tobias is a very good player, et cetera. Uh, I think I would probably try to be a little more reckless, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. I mean, the the trade that I keep mulling over is for Kemba Walker, and it seems like you know Batum is the price you have to pay to get him. Interestingly, if you if you come up with a trade that's something like Reggie Jackson plus Avery Badley plus Stanley Johnson plus next year's first round draft pick, I, I would have to think Charlotte can do better than that. But if that trade were on the table, um, it's hard for me to see Stan Van Gundy not taking it because I do think Kemba's a better player than Reggie. I mean, not not drastically, but he is better than Reggie, and I think Batum. Personally, I think Batum has underachieved in Charlotte a little bit and is probably a little bit better player than he's been there. So I, I think potentially you upgrade two spots. You have to do that at the cost of Batum's just ridiculous contract. But if you're Stan Van Gundy, that, that gives you a fighting chance at the playoffs this year, um, assuming you know, you're know you not too far under 500 by the time you make that trade. And it gives you a, a relatively competitive starting five for, for next year. Um, it, and maybe the chance to add a piece or two via uh, the, the end of your rotation via, via free agency. Um, in Duncan's situation, I think I would pull the trigger on that trade uh, because I think it's something Van Gundy would seriously consider doing. Um, in reality, like in real life, if Van Gundy were to make that trade, I honestly don't know how I'd feel. Uh, you could flip a coin. Sometimes I feel like it might be a good trade because I think Ken was a really good player, but then the flip side of that is if you if you take on that Batum contract, who boy, you are in some serious um, financial difficulties two two three years down the road. Um, but but short of a trade like that, it's it's hard for me to envision the scenario in which the Pistons really upgrade the roster. I mean they don't they don't really have anything super desirable, and the things that they do have that might be desirable, like you know Drummond for example, or Stanley Johnson or Luke Kennard. Those are guys you don't necessarily want to sell, right? I mean, you don't want to sell Drummond low. You don't want to sell Kennard because you you might have something there and not necessarily ready to give up on a guy like Stanley Johnson, who fortunately had a pretty good game today. Um, and maybe this sparks something for Stanley. Um, but yeah, I think maybe one of the only realistic trades is the one that you have to take bad, take back a bad contract and maybe give up a first rounder. Um to make something happen in the short term. I think I'd be more likely to do a trade like that if Charlotte was willing to include some of their other bad contracts. Nick Batum is clearly the worst contract that they have on their books. Uh, if they, even if they included like Dwight, um, that actually kind of fixes a, a hole the Pistons have at backup center. It's like I wouldn't even be opposed to Dwight's contract. His contract only runs, I think, two more years after this one, whereas Batum's runs four more years, which is just insane. Uh, or Charlotte also has they have a few wings that make you know better than starter money and MKG and uh, Marvin Williams who are both at around 13 million. I think if you were able to get one of those guys, 
uh, for a similar package that's less crippling financially. The the thing with the Batum contract is it's so big, I think it hinders your ability to re-sign Kemba, which is uh, which turns Kemba into a weird like Paul Georgian uh, half season season and a half rental, and I don't really like that. Uh, if you trade Reggie and lose Kemba in a year, you're and have Batum's contract in the books, you're in a much worse position uh, for the future going forward. Oh, I I 100% agree with you. Like, I would love to get Marvin Williams. Like, if you could swap Batum and Marvin Williams in that trade, that'd be amazing. It just, it's, the question is, well, why the heck would Charlotte do that, right? Like, because we're not giving them really immediate salary relief in that trade potential, plus we're giving them an injured Reggie Jackson. But, yeah, I mean... I 100% agree with the way you're thinking about it, 100%. If, if Dwight Howard could be the salary flotsam coming back, I think that'd be great. <laughs> I, Dwight has played well this year, but it's still the thing where teams he's on underperform to a almost comical degree. And so uh, I don't I don't know how much uh, you, you need a guy like that on your team uh, for chemistry reasons, but not necessarily for basketball ones. I do think it's funny, the idea of, uh, you you telling Stan Van Gundy in 2013 that you would tra- he'd trade for Dwight Howard to be his backup center. Well, yeah, yeah, that's my main thing. Like aside from you know just having Dwight Howard, which you know is its own um, sad comedy. <laughs> Stan Van Gundy actively trading for him <laughs> just just delights me. Yeah. Uh, it would fix the backup center problem. It though. would fix the backup if you could uh, give out Boban, who is you know that's long term. That's not that much money, uh, and it, you know you don't need four centers on the roster. So that'd be that'd be interesting. At least I would I'd be willing to explore that. Uh, there are a couple guys that have also whose names have been floated. Um, Derek Favors is apparently available. Rodney Hood, uh, according to Mark Stein, is apparently available, which is really surprising to me. Um, the Pistons can make a, a slight upgrade at point guard in the short term for like a, a Shelvin Mack or a DJ Augustine or something like that. Uh, and now I'm, t- I'm putting on my fake GM hat. But uh, yeah, I think the I would be willing to give up the first round pick this year to make the playoffs. Uh, not because I think that's a... a tenable course of action in the long term but because i'm looking at the back half of this draft and i don't see a lot of guys that have really stood out to me and so uh if we if we miss out on the 2018 version of henry ellinson i think i'm fine with that in order to make the playoffs it's not a bad point yeah. <laughs> i mean henry ellinson was almost uh dantas matayunas anyway so that's uh, true basically a wash so uh i guess the thing we should end on, we should end on something positive. Hashtag positive Duncan. Uh, Stanley Johnson has returned to the lineup and uh, he sparked a comeback in the Washington game. I think he played uh, the entire fourth quarter and uh, made some really nice defensive plays. He had a couple ambitious shots as he is wont to do, but uh, you really see the, you saw the impact that he can have on uh, the defensive side of the court for the Pistons. And then today against Brooklyn, he was all over the place. He was crashing the offensive glass. He was uh, he made uh, one of the threes that helped you know cut into the Brooklyn lead. Um, he was he was def- defending Karis Levert late in the game. Uh, a lot of Pistons fans have been really down on Stanley. Uh, they see all the missed shots and the uh, 
the inability to finish at the rim and uh they want to trade him basically they they see him as a someone else could do more than for him than what Stan Van Gundy has done but uh Stanley's way in my opinion Stanley's Stanley's way too valuable and an asset even if he doesn't work out to just trade at this juncture Ben I know you've been kind of hard on Stanley you complimented him earlier but uh would you be willing to to trade him to make the playoffs yes because presumably, if you're trading him in order to make the playoffs, you're improving the roster in a, in a substantial way. Because right now, this is not a playoff team. I don't think you give him away. I don't think you sell low. But I mean, I would absolutely trade him if it results in making the playoffs. I don't, and I don't think the only guy on the roster that would I would hesitate to do that with. Well, there's two: Tobias and Andre. I mean, those are the only two guys that neither of them I would say are are truly untouchable but they're the closest things a, a team below 500 has. I, I would say that any team in the NBA, if you if you take your fandom away from the, the conversation, it would be sort of silly to not trade a guy who's been in and out of the rotation in order to make the playoffs. I, I, I just think objectively you would have to do that trade if it was there. Duncan, do you agree? Um, I think I agree. I, I do think that... Um... So I'm kind of torn with with Stanley because I think that uh, for for his sake, I think a trade would be ideal. You know, get him a, a fresh start somewhere else. Maybe he can just function better with a, a different organization and a different coach. Um, but I also think that the Pistons' return on Stanley Johnson is probably uh, less than Stanley's own uh, possible upside alone. Um, just because you know, I, I think his value in the trade market is so. Uh, depressed. Um, so, I mean, yeah, if you can get the playoffs, sure, trade Stanley Johnson, but I think that you need, like, um, you know, you, you definitely need to <laughs> to be able to, like, assure yourself that you are making the playoffs. You know, uh, I think a shot at the playoffs, I would be less eager. Uh, but if you're going to get the playoffs, um, sure, yeah, I, I think I'd be fine with that. I don't know. I don't know if I'd do it. If only because... Uh... I harp on this point a lot um, on Twitter, but the the Pistons have lacked a dependable wing player for the longest time, and they've given up uh, unnecessarily on uh, a couple guys uh, who could have been those players for them, and it's come back to bite them uh, really hard in Robert Covington and Chris Middleton, and you know to a lesser extent. Karis LeVert, who they could have drafted instead of Henry Ellenson, but that is uh that's the draft. That's a little bit harder to to blame them for for whiffing on. If I, and if I do that, I also have to blame them for Donovan Mitchell, which I can't do because no one thought he would be this good this quickly. Uh, that's neither here nor there. Anyway, the point is, uh, wing talent is the the sole thing that championship contenders have uh, right now. You have. You know, Boston stocked up on like eight different guys who are all like six, seven, six, eight to to run their switchable defense. Um, Cleveland tried to do the same by adding Jay Crowder. Uh, Golden State can can pull out lineups with like uh, McCaw and Nick Young and Durant and Draymond, like all switchability. Uh, Houston tried to they acquired uh, Luke Richard. Um, Ba Amute and uh, PJ Tucker in this offseason in order to do the, the same thing. So 
having three and D wings is just a such a valuable proposition in today's NBA that I don't think I'd be willing to trade a a twenty one year old uh, no three but D wing in the hope that he develops that three point shot, uh, even if it meant the playoffs this season. Which uh, it, honestly, when I thought about this, it surprised myself because I'm really gung ho in the playoffs, but I think the potential of what Stanley offers is just so much more than uh, than I'm willing to to give up for the season. All right, so this has been a rough week. The next week is they play, the Pistons play uh, home against Utah on Wednesday, and then they play OKC on Friday, I believe. And then they have a, uh, a road back-to-back, or uh, yeah, a home and home with Cleveland on uh, Saturday and Sunday, which is that's really weird. Uh, ben, how many how many of those games should the Pistons win? <laughs> They're gonna lose them all. They're terrible. No, man, they need to beat Utah, don't they? Because those last three are are tough. I have a hard time seeing seeing them beat Cleveland one of those two times. I have a hard time seeing them compete with with Oklahoma City. Um, they really need to be Cleveland's porous defense versus Detroit's uh, moribund offense. Like that's, that's a matchup. No one wants to see is what, is what the rest of that <laughs> sentence is. Duncan, uh, what do you think? Do they win uh do they win any, any of those games this week? Um, Utah is it. I think that uh, the Pistons have this way of being um, a slump buster for the Cavs. Uh, they, seem to come along right when the Cavs are playing poorly and uh, Cavs wake up for some reason. So two games of that back to back. Um, I, I think or not, not back to back nights, but um, two games in a row of that. Uh, I think that's going to be pretty painful to watch. And uh, so it's, it's jazz or nothing, I think. All right. Well, this is, this has been just a, uh, a delightful podcast to, <laughs> to be a part of <laughs> i'm happy to bring some positivity uh to lighten the room a little bit <laughs> we, we appreciate it so uh duncan where can uh where can people find more of you and your work uh the athletic detroit and b-ball breakdown uh you can find my stuff there are you on uh are you a guest on the uh the podcast with uh dave before uh occasional yeah uh okay. every, every other month every month or so i i uh swing by Okay. Yeah, he's a pretty solid uh, basketball mind. Uh, I look forward to uh, talking with him some more. Yeah. And uh, Ben, where can uh, where can people find you? Uh, hiding under a rock, curled up in the fetal position for the next week or so, I think. Uh, maybe till the All-Star break. All right. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm joining you. <laughs> that... You can find me on Twitter. There's not much positive happening on Twitter for me. I think I tweeted during the first quarter day that like watching the Pistons has become like a very painful experience the last week. And I've gone from like the first 15 games in my head, knowing that it was not sustainable, but still really just loving the way they were playing to like falling asleep in the fourth quarter like I did today because I just I just don't enjoy it. I'm just not enjoying watching this team. So if if you want to join the the dashboard confessional that is my Twitter, you can find me at BR Golf. I will uh I will be more than happy to join you uh under the rock. I have I have a very nice blanket I got for Christmas. <laughs> uh, I'll break that. Um and in the meantime, nice. you can find me at uh 
on Twitter at last chance at L A Z C H A N C E. And of course at Detroit bad boys, where I think, uh, I think I'll be trying to vent out a little bit more of this, uh, this offensive frustration in the, in the coming weeks. Um, Thanks again, Duncan. Thanks again, Ben. Uh, This has been the Detroit bad boys podcast and we will see you guys next week.